Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Yes, indeed. The Weekend Report is on your radio. Thank you, Perry Woods. And The Weekend Report is on your radio for the first time in 2021. And we appreciate you listening to it. Happy New Year, everyone out there. My name is Tony Colombo with producer Carl Middleman Hello. here. And, of course, my partner Chris Arps starts the year under 50 feet <laughs> of concrete and steel in a nondescript building somewhere in the St. Louis metro area. As we continue to practice proper social distancing, he is in the Arps compound. You would never find him, even if you looked for years and years with heat-seeking technology. He's that well bunkered in the bunker. Hi, or Chris. you can just go over to St. Louis County website and look up property records. You'll find oh, hey, baby. <laughs> and that's ARPS, A-R-P-S. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. How are you doing, guys? I, Happy, New uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year uh, to everyone out there. 2020 is finally gone. I'm not sure that 2021 is going to be uh, any better, at least initially. It seems like uh, things are just as crazy as we go into the new year. As they were all throughout 2020, um, uh, Chris, we've 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 done this a lot, you know, over the last week or so. The whole like look back and then look forward. Uh, but what if what is your uh, what are you what's your what's your quick takeaway from the year that was? Um, obviously, a political. We've never seen anything like it politically in our lifetimes. I, you know, um, what 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 stands out the most to you? I guess the most that stands out to me, Tony, is there's an old saying in politics that says that says that, you know, a week or a month or a year is a lifetime in politics. And when we looked at the beginning of 2021, it looked like uh, President uh, Trump was cruising to victory uh, in November, that the economy was strong. We had the lowest unemployment we ever had. Um, we, we were bringing our troops home from overseas. It was uh, morning in America again as a slogan in, in Ronald Reagan's 84 presidential campaign. It really was. And then we had the Wuhan flu, Kung flu, China virus, COVID, whatever you want to call it, come in and erase all that. And as we head into 2021, which we're already there, we're going to have a 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. Yeah, my one of my biggest takeaways is the effect that this will have on 
our elections going forward. I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like our um, the integrity of our elections has been damaged, and I don't know if it was damaged. I don't know if it's if it's completely made up, and it's because uh, you know people like the president and his team and others have uh, poked a bunch of holes in it that didn't need to be poked, and uh, have created a um, uh, a distrust that is inaccurate or. If where there's smoke, there's fire, and it's very accurate. But I feel like this is a big deal. I feel like we've, as far as, I mean, you know, obviously the pandemic, that's the easy answer. So many people dying, the tragedy. I mean, that's, right? I mean, come on. That's an, that, of course, of course, that's the biggest story of 2020. But politically, I think what, I think the election is, uh, is going to have lasting consequences on uh, on us in the future. What do you think about that? Definitely. I mean, you said it, Tony. Election integrity has been damaged when you have 74 million people who feel that the election was fraudulent and that it was stolen from them. You know, when uh, Jimmy Carter beat uh, 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 Gerald, Ford. Gerald Ford in 1976, Republicans weren't like, oh, my God, the election was stolen. When Ronald Reagan won in 1980, Democrats weren't saying that the election was stolen. Probably the only recent example of of disgruntled voters on the losing side was Al V. Gore and mm-hmm. that or Al Gore against George Bush. And mm-hmm. that was really just came down to to one state uh, that determined the uh, fate of the election. But in this election, you know, we had several states that determined the election and people feel that that it's been fraudulent. What I'm afraid of, Tony, is the Democrats may feel that they have found the holy grail to steal elections forever with this mail-in balloting. And I'm fearful of a growing movement or a a movement around the country where Democrats try to turn uh, elections in all states as just mail-in ballots. Well, they won't won't need mail-in ballots to win elections if they win the Senate races in Georgia because they'll add add, uh, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico as states and they'll get four senators and they'll get two blue states and they won't have anything to worry about. And don't uh, forget the courts. Ever, ever again. again. Yeah, they'll pack the courts and they'll never have anything to worry about ever again. <laughs> or um, none of this will happen. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, I say that as a, you know, flippantly and, and sarcastically, but I mean, it's kind of true. I mean, it re- they really probably will try to add DC and probably, Puerto Rico. Tony, they said they were going to do it. There's yeah. no probable to it. They said this is what we're going to do. Yeah, so it's I mean, it really is. I mean, when we when they say it, it Georgia is it is going to when when Chuck Schumer says we're going to win Georgia and we're going to change America, he's not kidding. They're going to change America if they win this week. Tony, I almost had a moment like I had uh, Monday guest hosting the Mark Cox show when I was listening to Rush Limbaugh's show on our sister station and a Georgia caller called in and said he was so demoralized that he and his family were not going to vote in the Georgia election. They didn't think the vote mattered. And (laughs) I literally almost wanted to upchuck. Yeah, but you you know what? You're not he's that that guy's not allowed to complain. He's not (laughs) exactly if, if he if they if if he was a conservative, which I assume he was, calling into Rush and, and telling that story, and he and his family decided they were so uh, demoralized that they didn't vote, if whatever he thinks is going to happen, if the Democrats do win, and he thinks it's because they stole it, he's un- he's part of the problem. He's he, well, and he's also not allowed to complain because nobody stole anything from him. If he didn't vote, a- if he didn't vote, then his vote wasn't stolen. 
Yeah, you, that's a real nice way of just saying STFU to him. Yeah. If he, uh, yeah. If he, if he, if he, uh, well, if, but, if he wants to complain. Yeah, but what I, but what I'm saying is vote because then you, because then you have, then you, then you, you, you have a, a, a skin in the game. You yep. can say I did what I was supposed to do. I did. My I part. took the time. I did my part. I voted, and you stole my vote from me. If yep. you sit at home pouting and crying and say. You know, it, well, the system's rigged, and I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't trust it, so I'm not going to vote. Well, then you, you have nothing. Nothing was taken from you. You didn't do anything. Nothing was stolen from you because you didn't vote. So yeah. vote, and and then, then complain, and then you're allowed, and then, well, and then you're allowed to have a voice. Then you have a seat at the table. That, that in my, in my opinion. You know, a caller called in afterwards and gave a good response to that. He said, well, you know, President uh, Trump is going down to Atlanta and he, uh, to Georgia, and he's having rallies and everything, and he hasn't given up, so we shouldn't give up either. Yeah, no, and, and again, uh, whether or not you think that that is possible or could happen, you, in, if you want to argue, if you want to complain and have your voice heard, then vote, and then, yep. and then, you, can, and then you can complain afterwards if— if you feel like that vote was uh, was taken away from you, or uh, STFU. Speaking of uh, <laughs> yeah, speaking of all this uh, election controversy, it's not over yet. Uh, our very own Josh Hawley, United States Senator from here in Missouri, mm-hmm. has said that he is going to object to the certification process this week. I believe on Wednesday, the sixth of January, in D.C. Um, he can at least force a two-hour debate about the process, uh, call attention to, you know, uh, whatever issues he has. If they, I, I think that if he, if he challenges uh, not only Georgia, but Wisconsin Arizona. and Michigan and Arizona and uh, Pennsylvania, that each one of those starts adding up to another two-hour debate and he could tie up the Senate for a day or two maybe, and if he gets more... Uh, senators to join him, it could turn into more of a uh, basically a filibuster type situation. I don't think he's going to get anything. I don't think anybody thinks that he's going to change any results or anything like that. But it's another layer of madness to this whole situation. What do you think about uh, what Josh Hawley is doing? I think it's very important that Josh Hawley is doing this. A lot of people think that he's just grandstanding for 2024 to, you know, get some good name recognition. You said that. I did say that. And I and people are also speculating that if Donald Trump decides not to run in 2024, um, who do you think he is likely to endorse now? Uh, If Josh Hawley decides to throw his hat in the ring, I think he'd be a, a strong contender. But it's important that he does this is because this is really the only public hearing that we're going to have where a good size of the American, a majority or a sizable amount of Americans will see the evidence mm. that um, that um, American or conservatives and the, the campaign has been talking about for weeks now. Every one of these cases that have gone to court, the court doesn't want to hear them. Um, so really, the public doesn't know what the evidence yeah. is. With this, at least for two hours, Republicans will be able to lay out the case before the American people. The news media will have to cover it, and people will actually know what's going on. But right now, Tony, you could go ask nine out of ten people out there, especially if they're Democrats, they couldn't tell you any of the credible allegations um, against the voting process. So the Weekend Report was everywhere this week. Chris hosted the morning show, and he talked to Horace Cooper from the National Center. We're going to bring you that interview when we get back to the Weekend Report. Don't go anywhere. 
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices so join the revolution subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring listen on your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast you'll be glad you did welcome back to the weekend report as i mentioned the weekend report was everywhere this past week on the station i hosted the dave glover show chris hosted the mark cox morning show and chris introduced this next uh, segment uh this is my project 21 colleague horace cooper he talked about critical race theory no one yeah. should be expected to step and fetch and bend a knee because someone of another race is coming in. Shame on them. And frankly, what we really need is to open these schools back up yeah. so that these kids can actually get a chance to succeed. Like reading, writing, and arithmetic should be the focus. Absolutely. Instead of all this race space. That was Horace's uh, latest of. Uh, 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 appearance on the Ingram Angle with uh, host Jesse Waters. Horace, how are you today? Good morning. It's great to be on the program. Good morning to be with you. I think this, I think this is your first time on the Mark Cox Show, so we're happy to uh, have you on. What I want to talk about is that appearance that you had on the Ingram Angle last week. Uh, you were debating a a a far leftist who's come up with this brilliant idea that to achieve racial equality in this country, um, African-American votes should be counted twice. Now, Horace, you know, African-Americans are 13 percent of the population. So if our votes are counted twice, doesn't that make us more legal in the democratic process? <laughs> well, you know, it's You're not funny. to laugh at the host question like that, Horace. <laughs> it's, so, it's really ironic, though. When you present it, people can forget that this is one of the reasons that during the 20s, 30s, 40s, and even as late as the 50s, there were places in America that said as long as we didn't get black people casting their ballot, white Americans would be free to make choices and decisions and to fully exercise the dominion and rights that they have as Americans. They used bigotry then. The segregationists, overwhelmingly the segregationists were Democrats, and we are seeing similar signs today where we'll use race as the basis for privileging one group over another. Now, I think that besides the fact that it's blatantly unconstitutional, mm -hmm. besides the fact that it's an immoral way to operate to use race, there are a whole bunch of practical problems that we actually would have if we got into this business. Um, just 
just turn ourselves back to 1896, and there was a Supreme Court case called Plessy v. Ferguson mm-hmm. in which the Supreme Court unfortunately upheld the idea of separate but equal. What a lot of people don't know is that the process of determining who could ride on a train from New York to New Orleans was determined based on whether or not you looked black enough or whether or not you looked white enough. Mm. And they would inquire into your background if they weren't sure whether you were really white or whether you were really black. If we were to adopt some kind of crazy, unconstitutional rating scheme, you would find yourselves right back to the, well, now, are you 10% black? Are you 20% black? Are you half black? What kind of wickedness would we want to pursue where we get the government in the business of deciding for people what their race is and then testing in some way their thesis as to who is actually black and who is not. This is completely impractical, and as I say, it's unconstitutional and it's immoral. Horace, on Monday I had the Heritage Foundation legal scholar Hans von Spakovsky on, and he was uh, talking about an article that he wrote on critical race theory that's creeping into the courts, where now uh, courts are looking to uh, have affirmative action or or basically quotas on who they hire. Is this just another tentacle of uh, critical race theory, giving black folks double counting of votes? In a lot of ways, in in a whole lot of ways. Again, the real question is, what are we determining when we ascertain race? I know that there are a lot of people listening right now, and when you tell them the race of a person is completely irrelevant to who they are and what they can be, they go, well, maybe. I'll ask a different question. What if we started saying left-handedness? I don't know if your audience is aware of this, but left-handedness is actually a large killer in America. There are thousands of people who die because America is overwhelmingly a right-handed country, and that means equipment, that means how we drive, all manner of things are designed for people who are right-handed. And because if you're left-handed, you place yourself at a risk. Should we start offering scholarships just so that we can offset this rare phenomenon of some people being left-handed versus some people being right-handed? Should we give certain tax breaks just to people who are left-handed? I would argue, just as I argue about race, there is nothing essential or material about who a person is based on whether they are left-handed or right-handed. It is both as relevant. If an employer wants to know, well, one of my last questions for you, are you left-handed or right-handed? I would argue that is just as irrelevant as asking for your race. The government asked for it, the schools asked for it, the hospitals asked for it, and increasingly we're finding private sector folks are asking for this. This question should be reversed. the judicial system is heading in the opposite direction that we should be headed in. Just as the Chief Justice announced 
uh, almost a decade ago, you don't solve the problem of racism by adopting more racism. We're speaking with Project 21 co-chair Horace Cooper. Now, Horace, you know, what we were talking about sounds completely just off the wall and fringe and can never happen, and we're kind of laughing about it. But, I mean, how prevalent is this within uh, liberals? I mean, is this widespread, or is this just some fringe nutty professor somewhere that's come come up with this and wants to be published in the Nation magazine? So, a couple things. This is the... Um, culmination of a thesis that has been put out that there is some essential. You get the DNA and you can see who's white, who's black, and you can prove, you can prove, according to them, that there is some preference in America for those who are white and uh, some disfavoring for those who are black. During the Obama administration, one of the things that was particularly harmful in the private sector was a decision by the Department of Justice, by uh, the, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, by the Defense Department, to adopt what they call disparate impact. We are going to check to see what's going on based on our determination of your race, and we're going to use that as a measure. We don't ask how well a person uh, uh, performed because they never got a high school degree. We don't ask how well a person performed because they came from a broken household. We don't ask how well a person performed because their father or mother was an alcoholic. We just simply want to know what is their race, and we're going to let that be the measure of whether or not America is giving people opportunity, even though Study after study after study says that your credit rating is a function of your skill set and your particular tenacity. And if you take a black or brown or white person who has completed all of their training protocols, who shows up to work on, on time and makes a commitment to be responsible to their creditors, their credit rating is almost identical. It's not exactly, but almost identical to people who are not minorities. The same is true with health care. The same is true with income. The same is true with housing. Where you see differences are because there are actual differences that are not tied to race. They are tied to the lifestyle of individuals and the choices that they make. Disparate impact and the critical race theory eliminates agency. Agency is just a new term for you can choose how you're going to live your life. The left says if you're black or brown, you cannot choose. You have no choice. Nothing you can do matters. And that is extremely destructive. And it's actually a lie about how America really is. I want to switch bases uh, with you a little bit. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, there was a controversy, I think, with the spending bill where the, some lawmakers wanted to have a separate Smithsonian, in, uh, Smithsonian in, uh, Museum for, for women, a separate one for um, uh, Latinos. Because we have one for African Americans, that was kind of the, the rationale for it. I, what is, why would we need an African American 
uh, museum, but not have a Latino or a women's museum? Well, I'm going to be one of those people that tell you I wasn't a big fan and I'm still not a big fan of the idea of the African-American History Museum. Okay. There are a couple things. One is black Americans have been playing super prominent roles in America uh, since its beginning. And prior to the existence of the African-American History Museum, there were a major um, representations in museums all across America. What people forget um, is not, quote, simply a celebration of particular things. You can have a science museum. You can have a train museum. They're not simply celebrations. They actually contain artifacts that are based on what they promote and what they're supposed to be about. Guess what? If you have the most developed and exceptional quote, African-American museum in America, you have to start taking from other museums that are not African-Americans so that you can have the most exceptional and most amazing artifacts to display. You are, quote, whitening all other museums so that you can have these amazing and remarkable artifacts for the few people who come to Washington, D.C., so that they can see the museum. So if I live in Wyoming, if I live in Chicago, if I live in Laredo, guess what? I won the risk that many of the remarkable artifacts are no longer there, and I might be left with the false impression when I go to my local museum that all of the important accomplishments were done by people who were not black. So you have to be really mindful that if you do this with whites, if you do this with browns, if you do this with women, you're re um, segregating our experience and leaving people with the wrong impressions. And purportedly, the purpose of the museum is to actually change the impression. The most popular museum in Washington, D.C. is the Air and Space Museum. Not even 1% of America has ever seen the Air and Space Museum. Why would we gather all of the most amazing and accomplished artifacts representing achievements of blacks, bring them to Washington, D.C., so that, again, fewer than half of the people who would be going to the Air and Space Museum would be able to see it there? It's not a good idea, and it is taking us down this course. If you go to the Air and Space Museum, you will see exhibits that show the role that women have played. You'll see exhibits that show the role that blacks have played. The thing is, you will see far fewer ones because those have been moved over to the other museum. You know, I never if I go to if I go to town and I think I uh, I want to see what's going on. Why are we distorting that impression? So I don't think that's a great idea. And then for the founders and the organizers of the museum to leave off people like Clarence Thomas, the second black justice of the Supreme Court, one of the most influential justices of the Supreme Court, and when they finally decided to include him in an exhibit, they had to make sure that they ran uh, all of Anita Hill's allegations as well. 
It is absolutely remarkable the kinds of distortion that we see when we manipulate and put everything together the way that the left wants to do. It's not a good idea. I don't support it. And I recommend that we go back to black Americans, white Americans, brown Americans, all have amazing talents. And let's celebrate people with amazing talents. We don't care about their race. Horace, we got about a minute and a half left, but I want to get your thoughts. You know, it's very we're very sensitive here in St. Louis because of Michael Brown and Ferguson. Um, yesterday was announced that the feds declined to charge officers in the Tamir uh, Rice case. I'll be honest with you. I am afraid of possible uh, unrest. What's your thoughts? Well, I hope that we don't see that. I really do. I, I, I think, um, again, it's the job of the media to help put in context what is going on and what is happening. Um, we're now or we're looking at six years after the event at this point. Um, we an investigation has occurred, uh, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and they have determined based on the legal standards that are in place and that have been in place uh, for decades that they cannot go forward. I could have said to people last year, the year before, the year before, please, let's find alternative ways to address this. Mm -hmm. This idea that we're going to federalize this mistake right. is a hurtful way of operating, and all it does is it undermines our support and our ability to rely on law enforcement. Excellent. Horace, give everyone uh, the social media where they can get a hold of your excellent work and writings and where your next appearance is going to be. So uh, check out uh, the uh, National Review online, and you'll see a great piece I did on the double voting of black uh, Americans. And also always follow us on Twitter at Project 21 News, at Project 21 News. Welcome back to the Weekend Report. If we get to play one of Chris's interviews, we get to play one of my interviews as well. We just heard Chris uh, earlier this week when he was hosting the Mark Cox Morning Show, speaking with Horace Cooper. I hosted the Dave Glover Show this past week, and we had a very interesting discussion with our friend Gabe Pfeiffer, a.k.a. St. John the Philosopher, and Pastor John Michael Brown about the situation in Tennessee uh, with the Snapchat video of the high school student that was recorded in 2016 that was re-released this year, and a very interesting discussion on uh, race in America, and uh, we're going to play it for you now. Uh, John Michael, always great to talk with you, my friend. How's it going? It's great, man. How are you doing? I'm I can't doing... believe you're letting letting uh, St. John the Philosopher off the hook with his uh, ability on the drum set, man. You need to get him <laughs> going along with Terry, bring in a little drum set there for him. He's you thought know, about that he's an exceptional drummer. He is. I, and you know what? And I have mentioned that before. So do your typical... Your typical oh, right. introduction. Yeah, my typical introduction is, is I, I am a black conservative Christian rocket scientist. Yes, and I have told him for years to, <laughs> to add, add musician because <laughs> he is yeah. a musician. And and a singer, too. Yeah, singer. yeah. and the la actually, John Michael, the, you, the last time I saw you, we weren't able to converse because I was watching the uh, Christmas Eve 
mass. The the, mm-hmm. the uh, not mass. The service. We don't do cantata. <laughs> yeah, we don't do masses. It's yeah. my church. I've been going there for years. Mass. You can see how into my religion I am. Oh boy. The Christmas Eve, the Christmas Eve service yeah. where uh, Gabe, you, and John Michael and others were performing, and it was beautiful. It was it was it, it was weird to watch uh, a church service. Uh, live stream it and not be is. there in person. It's always weird, but it felt, but it was comforting because it felt like, you know, what we would normally do on New on Christmas Eve. It, it felt like, well, at least th- they didn't take this away from us. You right. know, at least twenty twenty yeah. didn't take this away from us. You did it virtually. Yeah, right. Yeah, they were Which, on, they were at the church. I just went to church last Sunday for the first time, and it was a really, you know, full congregation, and it just felt so good to be around yeah. people and people yeah. singing. It was outstanding. John Michael, what is the latest um, with churches in St. Louis County? You know, we've been talking about restaurants and Sam Page a whole lot lately. Um, are, are churches, do you guys, are there any restrictions at all for you guys at the church? Um, or is it um, are you guys making the decisions when and when not to have services and that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, I mean, we, uh, when they first, you know, way back when they shut things down, we, we stopped. And then once we came, we came back our first week back, we did an outside service and then we're like, yeah, it's too hot outside. <laughs> and then we came in and we, we social distance and, and we remind people to wear masks. And, uh, we've been having service for, uh, since the summer, I guess I can't, maybe June we started back. Uh, yeah, but so. you know, I mean, you guys- we have a lot of space. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so yeah. So we can distance. Do you guys have any? Is there a, a, an official capacity limitation, um, or is it just a, a social distancing? Like, it, yeah, I mean, we don't have. Out, I mean, it's okay. Yeah, we. I mean, we have the pews marked off. Uh, you know, so everybody is at six or more feet away from each other, and and uh, we we don't have the capacity. We're not worried about that right now. You know, but. Uh, it, I guess if, if it came up, if we had some type of revival, we might we might think about it, but uh, we don't we don't really worry about the numbers and and I know early on we try to keep track of attendance and who was there just in case something. But we've we've had different you know a couple of different people in the congregation that have tested positive and and we kind of anybody associated we let everybody know and we let people make their own decision as to whether or not they want to to attend but the individuals obviously that test positive they they quarantine but uh, you know we've only had a couple a couple of people and nobody's contracted it at church so um it, we keep our fingers crossed and we keep our heads bowed yeah and uh we we keep going <laughs> well it was it it really uh it really was great to see you guys on christmas eve and i'm so glad that you were able to provide that live stream um, I, I tricked Gabe and I outdressed him for once. I <laughs> yeah. tricked, you know, I, he, he usually outdressed. He was in jeans and tennis shoes, and I had dress shoes on. So yeah. I, I, I tricked him. I let everybody see that I can dress nice too. You got me. You got me. <laughs> so there's a story that has uh, that has really taken hold in the high uh, in the headlines here over the last day or so. I was first made aware of it. First time I saw it was on Monday night after uh, after our show here, actually, and mm-hmm. um, I knew that that Ga- that Gabe was going to be here today and tomorrow, and I knew that we were going to be talking to you today as well. So I I, I saved this story because I really wanted to get your guys's thoughts and reaction to it. This is the story out of Tennessee with this um, high school, what is now a high school senior, um, 
she put a Snapchat video. This I'll do the quick version. If you don't know this story, you, you, you can go out and find all the details. Uh, but uh, this high school student in Tennessee, um, when she was 15 and a half years old in 2016, she put out a Snapchat. She sent out a Snapchat video when she got her driver's permit. And she's a white girl. And she said mm-hmm. it's a three-second video. And she shows the steering wheel of her car. She's got her permit, and it flashes to her face, and she says, I can drive, and then she uses the N-word. And that happened in 2016, and just this year, a fellow student who is uh, mixed, has uh, one parent that's, that's black, one parent that is white, had this video and held on to it, and in, in interviews has said, I held on to it until I knew I could make my strongest point. So uh, earlier this year, he made people aware of this video, released the video to the public, and, and, and now this girl is a senior. She had been accepted to the University of Tennessee and put on their cheerleading team. Uh, the University of Tennessee has now rescinded the scholarship and her invitation to the university. And uh, this girl will not be going to that college now. And this story has just absolutely blown up. Uh, the, the student that released it said that he wants people to understand the severity of the, of the word, um, which I completely understand that part of his message. Uh, but he goes on to say that um, he, when he thinks about what he's done, he's, he said, I, I, I feel like I made a difference. I feel like I taught someone a lesson she um, must have had a yeah. vendetta against him from back then right so or he this, must have had so it against all of her this actually happened in june and it's just now hitting national headlines <laughs> and it started because she had posted something on social media in support of black lives matter so she was hmm. she was supporting that movement and that organization when this other student came in with this video that he had had in his possession for quite some time and said you're a poser. Here's the real person. Um, I w- I, I'd love to get both Gabe and John Michael's thoughts on this story. John Michael, go first. I, I, I mean, I am totally just disgusted by that. I mean, when you you think of historically the intimidation like the KKK did to, to blacks and whatnot and, and whites and, and forced people into agreement or compliance, now we're doing we're, – we're, we're doing that same thing with a different venue, you know, destroying somebody's life. It, you know, from the context, it doesn't even sound like she was using the N word in a derogatory way. She was just using it in a, a teenage I'm cool and I'm hip way, which is, is happening all the time. I mean, I could record high school students, you know, black students saying that. So now if they say that, do they get removed from their college? You and know, the, you talk about a double standard to be taught in my opinion because you're right. I think that is how she was she was saying and using that word. And that's not okay. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be doing that. And she need yeah. and, and she needs to be all kids need to learn about a very many different names yeah. and words I, and name calling and things like that and branding people with certain uh, labels. Um, and and I so that's a legitimate day, lesson, but this, yeah. it might be a little, go ahead. I'm sorry. 
to this day, I can tell you that I, you know, growing up, we used the N word, you know, being black. And that was, you know, what up, you know, you use it as an endearment or you do it as cool. That's just the language that you use. And I still remember my older brother who was going through some circumstances, uh, racial that he felt, you know, in college, um, he made the point, you know, hearing me say that you'd be mad if a white person said it. So why do you say it? And I immediately, to this day, do not use the N-word. I mean, this is 20 years ago, I think, that, that I stopped using it because that nobody should be using it. But yet it's used regularly in the African-American community, um, in smaller groups. I mean, there's a lot of young people that allow their non-black friends to use it, you know, if they're a part of the group. I mean, and so it's like it's just this double standard, and you're assassinating a person over the use of a word. I mean, people commit felonies when they're 15 years old and people forgive them of that. And you're going to, you know, I think it's kids need to learn what they're posting is going to be. One of the things that he said is that, is is that he said that uh, he wanted to make sure that she understood the severity of the word. And to your point, John Michael, I, and, and my opinion is I agree. we, we yeah. should make people aware of the severity of that word mm-hmm. and why it's not okay to use it. Um, however, when at that time when she's 15 and a half, and like you said, she's probably seeing uh, other students and and celebrities and 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 uh, uh, music mm-hmm. that is using that word um, as a term of endearment or as a punchline, it's a ve- it's got to be very confusing. And and it indicated, mm-hmm. like you just said, it sends a double standard and a mixed message that it's hard to say, well, I want to know, I want everybody to know the severity of this word, except for these people, because for them, it's not severe, but for you, it's a, it could be yeah. a life changer. Gabe, what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, the, the, the church of social justice, which is what we're actually talking about here, has a certain mm-hmm. number of tenets and a certain, uh, uh, types of, of ways that they worship. And, you know, and it, and it's kind of essentially a mockery of Christianity. If you, if you really think about it, you know, they want to sacrifice other people to, to absolve sins of the past, as opposed to, you know, stepping up and, and, and bearing their own cross. They, they, they shun um, forgiveness and redemption, because there is no forgiveness and redemption. If you if you committed a, a sin against the Church of Wokeness, then you are to be punished for life. You you can't go to college. You can't have a job. You can't you can't be on social media. You can't you can't engage in life. And nothing you have said or or will say since can absolve you of that that original sin. Mm-hmm. So that that's really how the Church of of Wokeness. Operates and and you see it every day. That's where cancel culture comes from, and and what this kid engaged in was basically something that he's seen an example. It's it's funny because both of these kids are just acting out examples of of behaviors that they've seen. One being from like as you said, music and and you know pop culture essentially just using a word in a certain way, and the other using cancel culture in in a way in response. And they're they're both just responding to what us adults are allowing to happen, and we need to stop all of it. So John Michael, we gotta we gotta wrap. This up, but I I do want to give you the last word here. Um, obviously, none of us, nobody here is is defending the use of that word in any way ever. There is a lesson to be taught here. Mm-hmm. I just think that we've maybe this is not the right lesson. <laughs> what is yeah. what well, is the right it's, lesson? 
Well, I, I think, you know, it's about fairness and treating people the way you want to be treated. I mean, I think if you don't want people to use the word, don't allow people within the African-American community to use the word. Don't popularize it with pop culture and hip hop culture and, and gangster, you know, all the, you, you can't have it out there. And kids that are trying to engage, they're immature. They don't know what is, is or isn't okay to say. And what we should, another thing we should talk about is this, this boy brings this out several years later. There's a difference in a girl says something when she's 15 and the guy comes out when he's 17, 18 years old and assassinates her character. She made the mistake when she was 15. He he did this now. I mean, that's th- those are two different, you know, if I hold on to a crime that you commit, I think that there's a this idea of trying to be in the club and 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 and, and call other people out so that you can get your own fame for being woke and and how it's just it's just wrong and I think we have a situation where it's just a changing of the guard. You and know, these people so that are more tied up in this story too. Like when he first reported it to the school, they didn't do anything about it. And then well, when, you, you when thing, when 2020 <laughs> happened, he first reported, I think in 2019 school didn't do anything. Now 2020 happens and mm. the school's reaction is completely different. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating story. And I, I really appreciate uh, John Michael and, and, and Gabe uh, getting your thoughts on it today. So uh, we need to take a break. John Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, have a happy my new pleasure. year, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again real soon, my friend. All right, bro. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Indeed, hour number two of The Weekend Report is on your radio. Tony Colombo, Carl Middleman, Hello. and Chris Arps all here with you. In that first hour, we got a chance to kind of reflect on the year that was and give our thoughts on some of the things happening in the news right now, including uh, the election and Josh Hawley and all that. So if you missed that discussion or if you missed anything uh, from this past week, the Weekend Report was everywhere, Chris. Yes, we were. Chris Arbs hosted the Mark Cox Morning Show this past week. I hosted the Dave Glover Show, so you were bookended all week <laughs> long in the morning and the afternoon. And in fact, I joined Chris one day in the morning this week, and he joined me in the <laughs> afternoon, so we were even cross-pollinating Incestuous. back and forth. It was. It was and, and Tony, the producers... Yes. Weekend Report producers. Carl and and Frank. Exactly. (laughs) We did it. Exactly. And uh, I even had a chance to be on uh, with Tim Jones, who was filling in for Annie Fry this week. And then he was on your show (laughs) three days ago. Exactly. Uh, So the Weekend Report was everywhere. Um, We just replayed in that first hour a discussion that Chris had on uh, Mark's show this week with Horace Cooper. And uh, we also replayed an interview that I did with Pastor John Michael Brown, along with Gabe Pfeiffer, a.k.a. St. John the Philosopher, about the situation in Tennessee with the release of this uh, uh, white cheerleaders Snapchat video using the N-word in 2016. What do you think, my friend? I think the lesson to be learned, and, and it's a lesson that is stressed to young people today. And Tony, I'm sure you stress this to your children. Watch what you put on the internet mm-hmm. because everything's it is forever. forever. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're young, you you do foolish things. You don't think they're going to have consequences later, and, and they do. So, but uh, yeah. it, it this just shows another example 
of and and uh, Shelby Steele, Doctor Shelby Steele, talks about this in his movie, the uh, What Killed Michael Brown, the weaponization of race, mm. and that's what this is a prime example of is using something that this woman shouldn't, this young woman shouldn't have said. It doesn't sound like it was meant derogatory to me. It sounded like it was it was meant in a terms of endearment, like uh, black folks use it, mm-hmm. and now he's using that as a weapon against her and has ruined her life. And he you said know, that she a- wanted he wanted to teach a lesson about the severity of that word. And he said, when I look at this and I look at everything that happened, I don't have any regrets because I, I know that I did something. I taught somebody a lesson. Those, that is his, those are his exact words. That is his quote. And um, my point was, and what we were talking about, if you, if you heard that conversation with Pastor John Michael Brown and Gabe Pfeiffer and that we replayed in the last segment, is when he says, I want people to understand the severity of, this, of that word, I agree. I personally agree that uh, what he is saying is the severity of that word. But whenever you have a culture where there is a group of people that use that word, as you mentioned, as a term of endearment or as a punchline or as song lyric. Yeah, as a song lyric. And, and, and that's all fine and well, and here's a 15-and-a-half-year-old that lives in that culture probably and thinks that she's just being cool, which is obviously very wrong, and she needs to be have a discussion. But when you have all of that, when it's a term of endearment, a punchline, a song lyric for one group of people, but a career ender for another, then I don't know that you can say, I had to teach a lesson about the severity of the word. The severity of the word for who? For some. Maybe, but not all. What do you think? You know, Tony, I've lived long enough on this planet. Carl is very close to me in age, even though he he hates to admit that. Six (laughs) years is a long time, sir. (laughs) I truly do, and I've seen example of an example of karma. And even though this young man may be feeling good about himself, that he's ruined this uh, young woman's college career and she's going through all this angst, trust me, we're going to hear about this person in a year or two or maybe even, uh, even shorter than that. And it's going to be a karmic justice situation. Trust me on that. Hmm. Write it down, Carl. It's going to happen. Keep the tape. Chris, we got a few minutes left in this segment. I want to get your I want to uh, draw upon your political expertise one more time here and look back at what just happened at, uh, at the end of last week with Mitch McConnell deciding to not move forward with the two thousand dollar stimulus payments to Americans that uh, the president had been pushing for. Uh, the uh, uh, Senate leader makes a very good point. I think makes a very good argument. I mean, I would love, don't get me wrong, I would love to have those <laughs> those payments. Um, but he says that $2,000 payments to all Americans uh, is not something that he can support because not everyone needs it. He said the yeah. payments should be targeted at those that do need it and not to the people that are doing fine or even thriving right now. And I mentioned on the Dave Glover show this week that, you know, my we are my wife and I, our family is struggling like every other American family is struggling and could absolutely use thousands of dollars handed to us in our bank account. However, we would be struggling like this with or without the pandemic. I didn't lose my job. She didn't lose her job. We are we we could use the money, but we don't need the money. There are people that in 2020 that have lost their jobs and have lost their businesses and need the money a lot more than we do. So I understand what McConnell is saying. I think the argument is very sound. But what a lot of Republicans are are afraid of is that the Democrats will 
because they're very good at spinning and they're very good at labeling. And they will now label the Republicans as the party that blocked your stimulus money. money. And the, you, you're going to and, and you you want to put these people in charge of the Senate. The, it, you know, after a year at like 2020, Mitch McConnell won't give Americans relief. I mean, that's the that's the way it's going to be. It's not going to be painted the way I just said in the way McConnell said it's going to be painted that the Republicans are the ones blocking the stimulus funds. And people are afraid that is going to uh, possibly influence the Georgia election in a very negative way. What do you think about what Mitch McConnell did and its influence on the election in Georgia? Well, actually, Senator Mitch McConnell, the turtle, he actually retraced his steps a little bit and was signaling that he was in support of $2,000 checks, partly because uh, Senator Josh Hawley had tweeted out that he believed that there were enough votes in the Senate um, to pass it. But he, what uh, Senator McConnell did was throw a couple of poison pills in uh, in the proposal for Democrats. He said that he would support $2,000 checks, but the Democrats have to agree to removing Section 230 protection for mm-hmm. the tech companies, and he wants a special election commission uh, for the 2020 election to investigate and to study it. And the Democrats said that's just a, a non-negotiable thing. So I think Mitch did that to cover himself. I kn- I don't think that he was really in favor of $2,000, but he had to throw this out there to make it seem like he was to try to take that criticism that you said was going to be uh, lobbied against Republicans and him. Yeah, but it, but get rid of that a little bit. The the bottom line will be that he didn't that it didn't get out before the election. It didn't get sent out before the election in Georgia. Do you think that it influences negatively the Republicans in in Georgia in the long run or is it not? Will it not impact that race? I, I mean, it may impact some Repu- some Democrats in there, but Republicans. I think the majority of Republicans would like to have two thousand dollars. They're struggling, but I think they see the bigger picture of Warnock and Ossoff in the Senate and us losing our country. So I think they would forgive uh, forgive uh, Mitch McConnell in that sense. Plus, you know, Republicans are also fiscally conservative. We see we're at twenty seven trillion dollars in debt. Where are we going to get this $2,000 from, Tony? We're either going to print it or borrow it from China, <laughs> and most Republicans know that. Uh, real quick here, I wanted to touch on this story to kind of go out in the segment on a uh, on a lighter note. Alec Baldwin, the, <laughs> law, the, the, the staunch critic of the president who has accused the president of being racist, has accused the president of being a liar, has accused the president of deceiving and so many things, his wife this week... <laughs> Uh, it was revealed after years of claiming to be uh, Spanish and speaking with a Spanish accent. Uh, her accent is fake. She's been faking this the whole time. She's, She's uh, born in Boston. She has said her name is uh, Hilaria, and her her name is Hillary. She was a white girl born in Boston, and that's, those are her words after she got caught. I'm a white girl that was born in Boston, that's what she said. Um, she claimed her... Uh, her bio said that she was from Spain. You can find uh, interviews that Alec Baldwin has given over the years, decades ago, years and years ago with David Letterman saying my wife is from Spain and she's spoken with his accent. For, and it's discovered that she was yeah. born in Boston, raised uh, a, a good chunk of her childhood here in the United States. Uh, that's, you know, we were talking about racism at the beginning of the set. That, this is racism claiming to be uh, someone uh, uh, Culture appropriation uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, from an origin that you are not 
in order to gain? I mean, that's racism. And how ironic that one from that one from one of the uh, most outspoken liberals, one of the president's biggest critics, he's done everything that he's claimed the president has. You know, you and Carl are going to have to help me out with this one. But uh, what's up with this recent thing with white girls don't want to be white? <laughs> she's been black and had the NAACP. You got this girl, probably other examples. What's up with that? Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm Italian and Carl? proud. I don't need to. I don't need to fake anything. I don't know. <laughs> don't try to understand women. Uh, yeah, another. Uh, Another funny story and more egg on the face of Alec Baldwin, but something tells me he'll be just fine. Things like that don't seem to stick if you're on uh, that side of the aisle. Let's take a quick break. and we get back, we're going to talk to our friend Brian Eggers, one of the great sponsors of this show from Eggers HVAC. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. Tony Colombo, Carl Middleman, Chris Arps all here with you. First episode of the Weekend Report of the new year. Happy New Year! as I mentioned, joining us now on the phone, one of the great sponsors of this show, somebody we talked to many times in 2020, and I hope we get a chance to talk to many times (laughs) in the new year. I talked to him a lot in 2020. Yeah, I think we all did. He was at your house. He Twice. Was at, he was at my house. He was at my mom's house. <laughs> Brian Agers from Agers HVAC joins us on the line now. Brian, always great to talk with you, my friend. Uh, happy Glad New to be Year. Here. Yeah. Happy New Year to you guys. So, I only talk to him on uh, holidays. So, like, this is New Year's. Right. I talk to him Fourth of July, and I talk to him Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. That's a true story. Right, Carl. <laughs> well, not um, not the, not the days of, but like the days before. So. Yeah. Uh, Brian, um, uh, looking back at 2020, obviously a crazy year in every industry, and I'm sure yours, obviously, no different. Um, So recapping 2020 and looking forward to the new year, how much permanent change uh, do you think came to the HVAC industry uh, with the pandemic and everything else that 2020 brought along with it? Well, uh, a lot. Um, You know, and and – so in our industry, there's a lot of analysts um, who will project sales and growth and all these things. And I can tell you, just like every other market segment uh, that is analyzed, the analysts missed it uh, completely. Mm. And mm. so, <clears throat> so we had factories shut down for you know weeks, if not months. We had, and I'm not talking about one particular manufacturer. I'm talking about everybody. And um, and then we had people who, because they were getting a nice fat um, unemployment check decided that they didn't want to come back to work. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about on the contractor level. I'm talking about at the manufacturing level. Mm. So then when people did start coming back to work, it was, their heart wasn't in it. Let's put it that way. Mm. So, you know, they'd come back to work a day or two and then not come back. And it was like trouble for manufacturers to staff people. And what that did is it created a situation where we had massive shortages this year, massive shortages. And, um, fortunately, we had stocked up on the key items that we sell, and it really, I mean, was it irritating and inconvenient? It absolutely was. But for the most part, we really didn't get too uh, dinged up by it. But I know that some dealers out there were waiting four and six weeks for product to come in. And so 
Um, it was tough on the industry. There was actually market growth from uh, 2019 because more people stayed home and realized that, hey, my heating and air conditioning system kind of sucks. Oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's different yeah. when you come in at, at 6 o'clock in the evening and, and it's doing its thing versus when you're there at 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the heat of the day and it's not doing its thing. Right. So, um, and, you know, and the analysts are predicting more market growth as people continue to work from home and uh, 2021 uh, should be shaping up to be a busy year from everything that we're seeing. You know, when we talk to you, obviously, we're talking mostly about, uh, uh, you know, homes, residential areas. But I would imagine, you know, 2020, there was a lot of offices and a lot of spaces, just workspaces, period, around the country that sat pretty dormant for long periods of time that normally wouldn't. And I would imagine that that probably, or or vice versa, uh, a lot of residential areas were, because of everybody being at home, systems were getting worked a lot harder than they normally would because people were at home all day instead of at work all day. And I'm sure that that uh, extra use or lack of use also affected a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of, uh, of people around the country. Is that a it, fair it estimate? Did. It did. Yeah, it did. And, uh, and St. Louis, if you look at the... Um, the housing stock and in particular the equipment stock in those homes. St. Louis uh, consumers, homeowners have a tendency to really try to get every last drop out of their heating and air conditioning system. And so not only um, is what you said accurate, but there's an, an awful lot of older stock as far as heating and cooling equipment in homes and businesses that is literally outside of the envelope of its is useful life expectancy and yes it's still running and it's chugging along and we can throw repairs at stuff and get it to work but what a lot of folks don't realize is that when you look at the energy inefficiency uh for instance mm-hmm. they're not doing themselves favors and you know i get customers who almost get out the the wd-40 and the rag to shine up their furnace because they're so proud that this thing's 38 years old and it's like that's cool but it's only 55% efficient, yeah. and so you're spending double, almost double what you would with a new high-efficiency furnace. Right. So, People hear me I, say you know. every week, you know, and it's you know, and it, it's a it's an easy thing to say, and people have heard it when it comes to the HVAC industry for a long time. You know, you can save so much on your utility bills by putting in a new system, and that's always been true, but it's never been more true. So as we go into this new year, uh, talk a little bit about the some of the, the new systems that you guys have, the new technology that is in the industry, and what you guys can do for people, not only with efficiency in their home, but saving on utility bills and just make – I mean, I've seen it firsthand with the system that you put in at my mom's place. It's – it's incredible what these what these things can do nowadays. And so not only do they save you money, but they are a lot easier to use. You can do cool things with them. Uh, you know, you can get your house warmed up or cooled down before you get home and, you know, with an app and things like that. Uh, talk about some of those cool new pieces of technology and, and how much people can really save if they uh, are ready to put a new system in. So I would say that our average customer that is, is changing out old, you know, standard equipment is is reporting back to us, and it depends upon the efficiency that they choose, but I'm seeing anywhere from a basic 35% energy saved, and I've had customers report as much as like 63% of 
their utility bills cut out. And so I've got a customer right now who uh, just bought new equipment from me last week, and we have yet to install it. But he bought new he bought two new systems from us back in 2017, and he contacted me uh, two months later and said our electric bill dropped $283 month over month. Is that am I nuts or is this really this efficient? And I said no, it is. Well, then they end up moving. And we're sad to leave the equipment behind. And I literally got an email from him and said, hey, we moved. Want to do it all over again. So, <laughs> so so, he's a big enough believer in the technology. And he saw it firsthand on his own bills that yeah. not only is he did he want to replace two systems back then, but he's wanting to, you know, to do it all over again. And that's what we're going to do for him. Well, not only does Eggers HVAC have what I believe to be the most knowledgeable team um, that can answer your questions and take care of whatever issues you have, whether or not you're getting uh, your existing system worked on or you're making that decision to go with a new system. Uh, but not only the knowledge, but the uh, true dedication to doing right by the customer, Brian, yes. is what I have always uh, been most impressed with and most proud to uh, represent you and, uh, and and talk about your business because it's, it's all about uh, doing right by that customer, making sure that uh, you are not only working with what is best for their home as far as the right system, but also respecting their budget and making sure that, uh, you know, they're very comfortable in every aspect of whatever work or whatever sale is being done. So um, I just wanted to say that uh, and, and how much uh, we appreciate you being a part of this show. If people do want to maybe have you bring the mobile showroom out to their house and take a look at uh, those new systems or need you to come out and, and work on their existing system, uh, tell people how they can get a hold of Eggers HVAC. You can either call us uh, at 636-681-1976, or you can find us on the Internet at CallAgers, <laughs> which is A-G-E-R-S, CallAgers.com. And you can find out information about us. You can look at our reviews, and you can even schedule uh, a visit from myself or one of our technicians right there on online. Good so, stuff. Brian Agers from Agers HVAC, always great to talk with you, my friend. I hope we get a chance to talk again real soon. We will. Thanks so much. You bet. All right, let's take another quick break, and we'll bring you another <laughs> a great interview. little cute little story. Yeah, we'll tell you about it in a second. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. I don't know if I can take another year of this. <laughs> oh, he did live Sitting on the morning the show this thing. week. Oh, that's well, that's good. I played it Playing for Perry's music. I like that. There it is. Welcome back. He's the old, see, nobody can see it because we're on the radio, but we all have to wait for the note to watch Chris play Well, he the was on guitar. video. He, if well, you watch good. the YouTube on the Mark Cox show, oh, you, you can I go know. back and see it. I know yeah. he was on video this week, <laughs> and uh, let's quickly address the uh, elephant in the room, Chris. Tony, uh, our next guest that we're going to uh, have, Mark Strand, I had a very memorable uh, <laughs> interview with him. To it was say a good interview least. until the last 90 seconds. You know, Tony, we, my wife and I, we drove up to New York upstate to spend uh, Christmas with the in-laws. And so we had a 15-hour drive home. We got home about 5. I kind of rested a couple hours, did some show prep, um, went to bed, got about three hours of sleep. Um, so I decided it was a very bright idea to uh, drink a five-hour energy drink 
and a Coca-Cola on an empty stomach. Mm, and nope. so I was feeling good, hyped, ready to do the show. Uh, about halfway through the Mark Strand interview, I started feeling a little nauseous. But, you know, I was like, oh, I'm OK. I, I get through this. I'm not going to throw up or anything. And then probably the last two minutes of the interview, man, I tried. I threw up about four times in between. <laughs> and uh, it's so funny because my good friends, I have air quotes going there, <laughs> uh, down at the station made a gif of my face while I'm Carl is the up. last person you want in the room with you when you are going through that moment. But I did not make it. I actually was covering your ass for a while until so everyone <laughs> knew. For a while. <laughs> until like everyone knew. So, oh, Once the floodgates opened, then it was open season, friend. I Chris, I told everybody. <laughs> I told every producer that I work with after that happened, look, if I ever throw up on the air, you smash cut into commercials. I, I was, you got two minutes I, left. I, well, I don't care. Go to commercials. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I was I couldn't believe when I heard the story that not only did you throw up while Mark was giving an answer you finished the interview. I mean, you can't tell if you listen to this thing. That's more pro than I am. Yeah. And I've been doing this like I said for 23 years. And so I I am impressed by the way that you you handle this. As we mentioned, uh the weekend report book ended at 97-1 all week long. Mark filled in for or Chris filled in for Mark Cox in the morning. I filled in for Dave Glover. Uh, so this was one of those uh, memorable interviews and a radio story. We'll and you be, can't tell. We'll be talking about for uh, forever. A long time. I'm sure. Um, so, Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna play. Uh, we're gonna play Mark Strand for you right now, and uh, that's gonna do it for the show. And uh, we'll see you back here next week for more Weekend Report. So here's uh, Chris Arps talking to Mark Strand, and see if you can tell at the very end of the interview <laughs> when things go wrong for Chris. Oh, I want to say one more thing, Chris. Yeah. Terribly you, wrong. You told me last week. I hope I'm not. I, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to stick up for you and and you know paint oh, a little behind the scenes. You had mentioned to me that you had filled in. You know, you, obviously you filled in for Annie before and you yeah. host this show and everything. But it was the first time you were doing Mark's show. Who's a good friend of yours. The morning yeah. show is a big deal, obviously, to mm -hmm. host a day part like that. It was the first day that you were doing that, so I'm sure there was a little bit of nerves involved on top of all the caffeine, all the energy drinks, <laughs> and uh, the no sleep and the empty stomach. I'm sure there were some butterflies in there that contributed. To the whole thing as well so yeah uh, yeah that's it tony i think it was, uh, <laughs> no, was i think it. it's amazing that, that you finished the interview so we're gonna play that for you now and listen for the end see if you can tell when things <laughs> go wrong and we'll see you back here next week for another edition of the weekend report for carl and chris i'm tony thank you so much for listening mark strand with the congressional institute want to get his thoughts and opinions on the new stimulus bill that has passed uh oh, yeah if you just woke up the president, the president signed. Yeah, he decided to sign it, which I in the middle thought, of the night, which I thought he was bluffing all along. I thought he was going to sign it, but that's how he negotiates. He goes full bore. Um, but he still wants them to vote on the two thousand dollars. He today. wants two thousand. We're going to talk about that with our next guest, Mark Strand, the president of the Congressional Institute. It is a nonprofit founded in 1987. That is dedicated to helping members of Congress better serve their constituents and helping their constituents better understand the operations of the national legislature. Just a little housekeeping business, which I alluded to earlier. Mark has a Missouri connection. He is the longtime former chief of staff for our beloved Senator Jim Talent. Mark, how are you today? 
Great, Chris. Good morning. Thank and you, Merry you. Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to, to you, too. Now, this is your first time on the Mark Cox Morning Show, but yes. you've been uh, been with uh, on the other shows that I've hosted, The Weekend Report and on Annie's show. Before we dive into this bill, give the folks a little overview, a little more of exactly what the Congressional Institute does. You know, what I think the most important thing we do is we kind of defend the institution of Congress. It, That's a tough sell right now, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it's definitely, a, you know, a, a wide moat industry, you know, not too many other people doing it. Uh, but really, in my view, every country in the world has an executive, right? They have a king or a queen, an emperor, an empress, dictator, grand poobah, you name it. Uh, but only functioning democracies have healthy legislatures, because that's what puts the check on executive authority. So even when you get mad at Congress, it's important that Congress does its constitutional responsibility, and and be, it's a key part of our system that makes our country work. So it's it's worth doing it. We do a lot of writing about procedure mm-hmm. and a lot of other boring issues if you ever have trouble sleeping. Uh, <laughs> but we do good things, too, you know, put bring together members of Congress for retreats to talk about issues and and better ways to serve. Mark, what I'm wondering and what uh, a lot of taxpayers are probably out there wondering, you know, a few years ago, uh, earmarks, pork earmarks, excuse me, were supposed to be outlawed. And I don't know if some of the stuff that's been included in this stimulus relief package bill that includes foreign aid and other things that don't really have to do with COVID, is that considered pork? And I I thought we eliminated that. (laughs) Well, we've certainly never eliminated pork. Uh, back when John Boehner took over, they eliminated earmarks, per se, which was members of Congress saying, look, you're going to spend money in the districts anyway. You know, I'm the one elected here. I'll tell you where the priorities are. And in one sense, this is actually Congress's responsibility because the, con- the Constitution says that Congress should appropriate money. Therefore, members of Congress should be saying where the money goes in their district. Now, it should be very transparent. You should you shouldn't if you're not willing to do a press release on it, don't do it, because that means you're trying to cover something up. Uh, you know, it, it should be open. But members of Congress should have more actual legislative authority about things that happen in their district. And if you don't like it, you vote for somebody else the next election. Uh, but that's different than the issue of just blatant pork, which is and this is a kind of weird thing. Like Nancy Pelosi's obsession, for instance, with constantly sending more money to the Kennedy Center. Yes. It's a lovely institution, but why? Why in a, a bill that's supposed to have COVID relief send more money to the Kennedy uh, Center? It, it makes no sense at all. And there's some more absurd examples I've seen, I guess, of what the study in Pakistan, which mm-hmm. seems to be one of the most crazy uses of taxpayer dollars. Uh, so, uh, you know, so there's a lot of waste in there, but this and this is payoffs to a lot more to special interests than it is to pork in individual members' districts. And that's what I want to go into a little bit more. We're talking with Mark Strand, the president of the Congressional Institute. You were a longtime chief of staff, Hill staffer. Talk about how that type of pork gets into gets into bills. Talk a little bit about the sausage making. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting, and that's not that pork is new. I mean, this has existed for a long time. It goes back to the 19th century because, uh, you know, before they had refrigeration, you know, to, to reach into the pork barrel was to get pork brine because that's where you started pork. It meant you were having meat for dinner, right? right. <laughs> so it was – it really is an old agriculture term uh, that Congress adopted. So it's not new. The problem we have right now is there is absolutely no oversight of the federal government going on. 
everything, you know, normally you're supposed to have what they call an authorization process where committees get together and they review all the different departments of the federal government. They review their programs. Are you wasting money? Are you doing a good job? Should we increase your funding? Should we decrease your funding? Do you need more people? And this is what the authorization committee has done. And we've stopped doing that. There is no authorization except in defense, uh, which is the only committee that seems to do it well. But they're still appropriating the money, which, by the way, is against both the rules of the House and the Senate, appropriating money for something that's been unauthorized or hasn't gone through the oversight process. But we're just and we're doing it all in one big, giant bill at the very end. And in addition to that, it was so this bill was apparently so bad that they had to attach it to the covid bill, which everyone wanted to get to the American people. And so we end up getting this this overspend bill that hasn't been reviewed by the vast majority of members of Congress stuck on as the last minute, because if you don't do it now, the, the, the consequences to the people in terms of unemployment benefits, in terms of lack of check and things like that at a hard time would be too great. And so they use this as a bookend to force legislation through. It's really a, an absurd thing. Uh, you have to blame it on the House because the House is where appropriations and tax mm-hmm. bills are supposed to originate, and they just aren't doing their job. You know, and this is why you end up with a really lousy product. You know, this bill is $900 billion, which probably will be a trillion dollars or more money. And the president threatened to veto this bill because he said that it didn't provide enough relief for the American people. I think an analysis was done that showed out of this $900 billion bill, about $200 billion um, goes to the American people. The president said last night that he's going to sign the bill and to avert a government shutdown, but he's going to use a little-known uh, maneuver, which I'd never heard of before, called the Impound Control Act of 1974, to try to cut out um, that wasteful spending, spending money for uh, fixing boats in the Philippine military. Do you think the president will be successful using this, uh, the Impoundment Control Act of 1974? You know, people have tried to use impoundment before. You're right. It is a, a power of the president. It used to be a greater power. In fact, it's kind of what led to the 1974 Budget and Impoundment Control Act, which is our president budget system that Richard Nixon would use it regularly. Say, look, I don't want to spend that money, and so I'm not going to spend it. Congress said that's not your job. Our job is to tell you what to spend, and your job is to faithfully execute the laws. So they did, though, include a provision by which Congress could, uh, the president could impound some money, but it has to be proved by the Congress, both chambers. So I think he can make the point, but he hasn't been exactly, you know, smoothing over relations uh, with the Congress to sort of pave the way for them to say, oh, you're right, Mr. President, let's just do this. He may be right in terms of what he's trying to do, but his relations, uh, you know, he sort of undermined his own negotiating team. Uh, His ability to actually get something done right now would be very remote, I'm afraid. If the president wasn't considered a lame, excuse me, a lame duck president, um, it looks like Joe Biden is probably going to be inaugurated. But if the president had won another term and was threatening to hold up this bill to get extra money for taxpayers, do you think he could have uh, could have gotten this money from from uh, from the from Congress or specifically his party to agree to this? Is do you think they're doing this because they consider him a lame duck in, in a sense? Well, clearly he is less effective now in terms of negotiating. Uh, But let's remember how this all started. Uh, We were looking to pass an additional COVID relief bill back in the summertime. And Nancy Pelosi made the decision to block that because she feared that President Trump would get credit for this and that would help him in his reelection. 
Uh, I mean, she has said that. So this is not news. This is what she has said she had done. For, for political reasons, she delayed the whole thing. Now, the biggest problem is after the election, and the president is considered a lame duck, you lose a lot of your negotiating leverage and power. Uh, but they had been pushing for this relief for a long time. Uh, they didn't want another huge bill. I mean, we've all, this will be over $5 trillion we spent on this. And so they were trying to get a bill that would get through and get some immediate help to the American public. Even that was delayed. I mean, the, it, the election was a month and almost two months ago now. Uh, so even their excuses for not doing it before got held up. And now, you know, the, the, the problem is his team negotiated a deal for what they could get. But the president's turning around and saying, well, but now I don't like the, the deal that even my team helped negotiate. And it's just going to be very difficult for him to influence that process. I think he'll probably score some political points with his supporters. But in reality is that this, this should have been done a long time ago. Speaking with Mark Strand, president of the Congressional Institute, you know, as I went to your website, one of the things that the Congressional Institute uh, does is help new members of Congress, kind of like an orientation, I think, to kind of give them an overview of what to expect. Mm -hmm. What would uh, what type of advice would the Congressional Institute give to uh, our new uh, Congresswoman elect here in St. Louis, Cory Bush, who is advocating? Uh, defunding the police and defunding the military. And as you know, Mark Strand, we have Boeing here, which is a defense contractor. So and that's even in her district. So a congressman, congresswoman talking about defunding uh, the military, especially that has a big defense contractor in the district, is probably not a wise thing. What type of advice uh, or if any, would you give to uh, a congresswoman, Cori Bush? You know, Help her get along in Congress. Yeah, it's interesting. The rest of the country really did, uh, you know, we're able to get a lot of conservative uh, Republicans. I was surprised we did the new member orientation for the Republicans, and I was expecting you know, the small number of members, like 15 or 20. We ended up with 50. Wow. Uh, because the Republicans elected so many really quality candidates. But you did elect your own candidate in, in Missouri's first. Um, and you know what I would tell her to do is to, you know what, cool the rhetoric for a while study. You know, pay attention to what's going on in these hearings. Understand what Boeing does to keep this nation safe and understand why it's in the interest of your constituents to help Boeing continue to do things to keep us safe. I mean, the products they produce are things that keep Americans alive, you know, and, and they protect our servicemen. And, you know, for, for someone to turn around and be against that or for, be defunding it or, or to say I'm against defense, but uh, except in my district, you know, they're seen as a hypocrite, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you study, shut up and study for a while and learn all about your district and, and, and learn about the things that are most important to your constituents. Yeah, politics makes people say stupid things, mm -hmm. you know, and so let's, let's hope that that's what it was, rhetoric, and that over the course of the next two years, uh, this member of Congress, who probably doesn't face a very serious threat to being reelected, becomes more informed and a better representative of all of her constituents, not just, you know, those people who are sort of party activists. And, you know, I've actually heard from uh, Democratic political insiders that are, that are saying that uh, she's going to be primaried uh, when she's up for two years, not so much because they disagree with what she is saying, but, you know, she is saying controversial things. And as you know, uh, the Clays have been in control of that seat for 50 years. Oh, and yeah. And they see someone that's kind of vulnerable. So 
you know, why not uh, take their shot? So I think she's going to what the talk is that she's probably going to uh, to have a primary. Well, they say them for members of Congress, the first re-election is when you're most vulnerable. Yep. So if they were going to do that, that would be the time to do it. You know, one of the other controversial aspects of the stimulus bill is uh, checks are not going to be directly given to uh, undocumented immigrants or illegal aliens, as we used to call them. But they will be giving checks to people that are supposedly legal, I guess, that are married to undocumented Immigrants. Explain that one to me. <laughs> right, well, if you're a citizen, I guess, and you should, and you're entitled to a check, you get the check no matter who you're married to. I, let, let's face it: that the part of the problem of our immigration system is we don't enforce our laws. We haven't enforced them really since going back to when Reagan gave the big amnesty, saying that all right, we're going to do this once and never again. Well, the, the, the never again part never happened, and so we have been continuing just sort of not enforcing the law or enforcing it selectively. And as a result, you turn around and people have come to accept the fact that the government doesn't enforce its own laws, and they live their lives as if that's the norm. And, and so you create all this confusion. So, okay, we say if you're not here legally, you don't get a check. Because in theory, how can you get it if you're not here legally, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're married to someone, but unless we're going to send that person home, which in reality we don't have the resources to round up the number of people we'd have to round up to kick out of the country, and where would you send them anyway? Um, you know, it, you're just going to have this constant confusion. It is the job of Congress to fix our immigration laws. Presidents have had to do this. You know, President Trump did a number of executive orders. So did Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. So did George W. Bush. Uh, going all the way back, because Congress won't do its job. We all kind of know what Congress needs to do. I mean, George Bush made a proposal that's still the one that we, we probably have to adopt, where we have, to ha- we have a right to have our borders protected. Uh, you know, and, and but we at the same time, we need good, honest people who are going to contribute to this country. And you've got to fix the system. But, yeah, it, it, you're right. It's more confusion caused by the fact that we don't enforce our own laws. You know, Mark, we've had gridlock uh, for years in Congress. That's been one of the complaints of it. We're going to have a new Congress in January. Do you see anything changing? Well, it'll be very interesting. Um, you know, I think there will be a bit... Biden will get a bit more of a honeymoon than than Trump did. I mean, let's face it, they were undermining Trump from day one. Uh, The interesting thing is, depending on what happens in Georgia, which I I think should be a Republican victory, you'll have a House of Representatives very closely divided. I mean, there's some thought that Nancy Pelosi can't actually get the votes on opening day to get elected speaker because, you know, there's so many members who won't be there because of COVID. You know, so she's actually, her margins are so small that she may have some political difficulty in getting herself elected speaker. And the House can't do anything until you have a speaker. So, I mean, this is a, this will be a major issue coming up. Uh, and they can't do any remote voting either yet because they don't have a rules package passed until they have a speaker. So this will be, I mean, that th- gives you an idea just how difficult it is for the Democrats to do anything radical. The, I think under McCarthy, who has a good sense of leadership in, in his conference, uh, the Republicans will pretty much be, you know, they'll be able to draw one or two people from the other side and, and stop anything too radical. And the Senate won't let anything too radical happen. So we may go through a, a kind of quiet period of time where not a whole lot is going to happen, but we'll just have a lot of hot rhetoric. But maybe that's what the country needs right now. I mean, I think people are tired of this whole, uh, of the craziness going on. But, but we'll see. I mean, if, if, for instance, the Republicans lose those two Senate seats in Georgia, 
then Katie bar the door. You know, as long as they can hold discipline, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting things they could do that I think most people wouldn't want to see. But the tight numbers means we're going to probably keep a fairly centrist course over the next two years. And it, and it may be that, that we realize the battle didn't settle everything. And then two years from now, we have an election that's just as controversial, just as, as hard fought as this one was. Tell the folks where they can get more information about the Congressional Institute. You can go to uh, congressionalinstitute.org. And, uh, and, and you can read all about some of the stuff we do. We do reports on Congress. But we have a Sausage Factory blog. And was, I was glad you used that term early on to describe it. Uh, as Bismarck said, you know, there are two things that people like that they don't want to see made, and that's sausage and, and legislation. Uh, but we actually explain it all. And so uh, please come to that website, and uh, you can catch up on all the interesting things. Mark, appreciate your time, and uh, hope to have you again back on the Mark Cox Show and on the Weekend Report. Really appreciate it. Well, and congratulations on hosting the Mark Cox Show. This is a great show, and uh, it's a, I know it's, it's a great honor. And so uh, they couldn't have picked a better person to do it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark, and have a happy holiday season and a happy new year. I'll take a new year any way it comes whatsoever. Excellent. So. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 